Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365 focused IT security professionals. It's episode one of season four. Alan and I had a discussion around Defender for DevOps recently. DevSecOps and SecDevOps are becoming increasingly important as teams shift to a continuous integration and delivery model for development and a shift left in responsibilities for code and infrastructure security. Here are a few things that we covered. We spoke about what is DevOps, why is DevSecOps and SecDevOps important, what platforms are supported, what insights can we gain from our code, how does it integrate with your current processes. We've noticed a large number of you aren't subscribed. A quick ask is that if you do enjoy our podcast, please do consider subscribing. It allows us to grow and reach more people just like you. It's a really great episode, so without further delay, let's jump in. Hey Alan, how are you doing? Hey Sam, not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, starting to get very warm here in the UK, so yeah, it's been very nice to finally have the start of our summer. Uh, anything exciting been happening with you? And not necessarily this week, it's been very busy. We've done a little bit of traveling this week, haven't we, around the country um, for various things. Um, and next week I'm in uh, London at InvoSec Europe. Um, and I'm actually doing a uh, talk on the Microsoft stand. Nice. On Wednesday. What are you doing a talk about? Uh, it's mainly around Defender for Cloud. Um, the title of it is Unified Cloud Security Posture Management. So I think that's at 12.35 on the Wednesday. Nice. So. Yeah, so if you're in London for InfoSec, definitely go in uh, listen to Alan's uh, talk on the Microsoft stand. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be shorter, shorter than one of our podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, they won't let you ramble on on stage, I suppose, will they? So, yeah, <laughs> definitely. No, no. You've been up to much this week? Or anything exciting? Uh not so much exciting. I think just um, preparing for this next season of the podcast, obviously, and getting things all set up. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been exciting. Um, we've had a couple of weeks break, so yeah, it's good good to get back to it. Definitely. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So this week it's um, Defender for DevOps, um, relatively new product, um, but I think it's worth definitely um, you know uh, reviewing it. Um, it's got some really good features. Um, so yeah, should we should we jump into it, Alan? Yeah, definitely. So we should probably start off with some some in you know, high level um, initial things around DevOps. So you know, can you explain what um, a little more around well, well, explain what you know DevOps is and why it exists, and um, you know why what does it serve to help us, um, you know, developers and things like that. Okay, yeah. So um, it's it's definitely worth doing a little bit of a you know brief backs you know backstory on devops um so devops is um sort of a software method methodology principle um around um making the deployment of software um as streamlined and as efficient as pro as possible um traditionally what you might do um is you might um say have a developer that builds an application let's just use the example working example of a web application um they might compile that application and traditionally you might have you know logged into the server um maybe you would have like ftp the files to the server you know to overwrite your latest update and a lot of those processes would have been done manually traditionally um and devops is really 
you know, sought to automate a lot of that process. So uh, developer, you know, uh, writes code, um, checks in code to some sort of source control system. Um, nowadays, that's usually Git. Um, and when that code is published into um, some sort of system, let's say um, GitHub or um, Azure DevOps, as a couple of examples, there's lots of them out there. Um, then processes, you might have called them runners, pipelines, actions, will then trigger to um, validate, uh, to, to build that software, to validate it, and then ultimately to deploy it to your systems um, automatically. And what that really means is, is the, you know, traditionally the developer is, is not had to worry about the build of the code anymore, of the deployment of the code. Um, that responsibility has shifted um, into a new set of um, skills. And that's where we've, you know, had traditionally DevOps engineers um, who have helped to automate that build process. Um, a lot of the time, those builds are done in the cloud now. Um, some organizations, you can do DevOps internally as well. Um, so you can run those uh, systems internally as well. So, um, yeah, you, you go from code to a deployment uh, in a lot more streamlined way, uh, basically. Cool. So it kind of sounds like if you were doing uh, rinse and repeat, you know, actions that you may have to do multiple times that you make sure that it's right every time you're not having to accidentally you know misconfigure something which yeah and it, it might not be like the compiled binary that's the problem right or it, it could be you, you might um, upload a binary with debugging symbols still embedded in it or a non you know um um, optimized build or for instance you know with your application you might have to send up a config file with it and maybe you've got a config file that's for development one for staging and one for production and you know us humans are inevitably humans and you know some mistakes can be made so the idea is to automate a lot of those processes to try and take out some of that um you know that human interaction makes it more efficient uh, makes it more accurate and ultimately um, it allows us to ship applications in code um, more regularly it's also worth pointing out even though it's called devops like developer operations um, devops principles are also used in the building of infrastructure we've had lots of episodes on infrastructure as code so even though it's more you know developer and application focused other types of disciplines are also using these processes to uh, make their lives more efficient. So traditionally, you know, if you're an infrastructure engineer, you might go into the Azure portal and you might click, 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 and you might, you know, deploy your resources, configure your resources. Uh, but now with the growth of uh, infrastructure as code, um, what you can do is you can describe your resources into a file and you can let a tool like um, uh, Terraform, um, Azure Developer CLI, uh, Bicep, Arm, there's many different flavors. Um, you can use those tools to allow you to then deploy that infrastructure um, and to track the state of that infrastructure as well. Won't go into that because we've got lots of great episodes on infrastructure as code and, and how that works. So check back for those. Um, but really DevOps is that the automation of that process. It doesn't matter if it's applications or infrastructure. Um, you really want to automate as much of that as you possibly can now. Okay, great. Okay, so I've heard of DevSecOps and 
Sec DevOps. Um, what are they, and you know, what do they bring to to DevOps? Okay, so what we what those two terms, DevSecOps and Sec DevOps, are kind of the same thing, but they are moving effectively shifting security responsibility to the left, right? So traditionally, security would have been you would have to rely on developers to update their code, you know, if they're using third-party libraries to 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 track which libraries they're using and which ones have got vulnerabilities and that's just a really like basic example. And sometimes that used to get missed. Um and making sure that whose responsibility um, a lot of because because there's security at the application and code level, right? It's not just infrastructure security and hardening at that. Um, you know, you could have the most secure infrastructure in the world, but if your you know your application has a remote code execution vulnerability in it, um, it could be that you know your firewall isn't going to save you. I mean, firewalls are a lot more you know um, sophisticated nowadays to looking at those common types of application attacks. Um, but really, security should start at that you know, code level um, to start off with. So what we've seen is we've seen a shift to the left. So if you sort of break up, you know, uh, DevSecOps as three different stages, you know, you, de you develop something, you then you secure it, and then you pass it off to operations to run it. So traditionally, it was just DevOps, you know, just straight from develop, you know, just it's just delivery. Um, and then we had DevSecOps. And this is really what... Um, Defender for DevOps really is because you've done your development you then uh, run a tool on it such as Defender for DevOps which is your SEC and then you pass it off to operations so you're sort of validating your build you know you write your code you upload it Defender for DevOps checks it and then should it pass then effectively it gets handed off to operations you know it gets put into you know production or you know deployed basically but sec devops shifts the dev and the sec if that makes sense is you know, sec comes first and really that's sort of the um holy grail really actually the holy grail is sec dev sec ops really um because you really want to be doing that security awareness as developers are actually developing now it's the the, the timeline of this is a bit muddied because there's there's different types of security tooling at different you know uh, parts of the the process so you've got security tooling within inside your integrated development environments you've got security tooling inside of your um your devops um software as well so really it's a to me it's a combination of all of those things obviously operational security is still really important right um but ultimately everybody in that chain needs to have some level of responsibility don't they and also we need to have visibility at all as many of those parts of the chain as possible um, because if we can catch something like um you know um a third party library that you're using that's got a uh, you know a critical vulnerability in it i'm thinking log4j here right we'll call that one out you know you want to catch that as early as you possibly can right you know um as as you're developing because ultimately you know development of applications especially comes in waves you might roll out a version of software 
and it might be three months until you hit that part of the code base again. And you could just, within that time, let's say there's a vulnerability. It's a very simple example, but it's a very real example. You know, your your um, your dependencies go out of date. You know, you pick up some um, vulnerabilities. Now there's tooling that you can run on your machine to do that, to find out about those. But then what we could do is we could bake that into our, you know, DevOps pipelines to basically do that checking, you know, and, and have like a second pair of eyes basically to do that as well. Um, so in theory, they are two separate like methodologies. And we're talking about, you know, shifting security as far to the left as we possibly can. But ultimately in that process, you want security layered in, you know, at every level really. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, like you said, I guess sort of in the past, um, security's always taken a back step or been at the back, hasn't it? It's been build everything, get it working, things like that. And then maybe security is checked. And we've seen that in a lot of areas, doesn't it? It's not even just in development beforehand when we've built potentially, you know, you're built building networks, things like that. And, and this is bringing it, you know, into, into that process now. And it's almost becoming, like you said, to the left, front and center, ch doing checks as, as that process, as it goes through that process. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, uh, I think we all understand how much more sensitive data is being processed by these systems, you know, uh, nowadays, right? So many systems are... Uh, digitized and you know um, uh, cloud migrated now you know and you know interfaced over multiple networks right um, so yeah as sort of that we call it like an explosion of data and um, you know the sensitivity of it has increased we, we, we now have to layer in more controls over the top of it um, but what we've traditionally had is we've had maybe security tooling that has um, interfered um, potentially with, you know, uh, put up barriers and roadblocks, right? Um, and I, th I think what a lot of these tools are now trying to do is to give you insights and visibility, but maybe not block, you know, you can configure how these tools run. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that um, in a bit more depth, but um what we do know is that we, you know, the, the most secure organizations and applications, you know, think about security as far left as reasonably possible, right? You know, as close to the source as well. Because, you know, if, if you're the developer, Alan, it's, it's much more highly likely that you can spot a SQL injection attack inside of your code before the ops team can, right? Because the ops team, you know, the code to the ops team is a black box. You know, you know how that that works but if you had something that could help you look for threats inside of your code base um you could you could you could start to see that emerging before it even gets to a an, an op scenario yeah okay that makes sense okay so you did mention defender for devops in that in that in that question so okay what features are supported for Defender for DevOps in this DevSec Ops Sec DevOps you know, <laughs> process. Sec Sec DevOps. Just just yeah. layer in security <laughs> everywhere. Um yeah, so um okay, so the the main three things that Defender for DevOps is 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 trying to give you is the firstly it's it's trying to give you visibility 
into your security posture within your DevOps. I'll call it environment, right? So what's, and we've talked about this internally about like, you know, how, um, how secure should pre-prod systems be staging systems, right? You know, do they actually store, you know, sensitive information, right? You know, at what point do you start to think about this? You know, do you start to think about this between pre-prod and production, you know, and um, what what it's effectively doing is it's scanning your your code um, and looking at your dependency trees uh, for vulnerabilities. So there's a bunch of um, like open source tooling um, that Microsoft is is brought in um, that allows you to um, effectively automatically scan your your dependencies within your application. So and so for instance you've let's say you're using you've got a node.js app and you've got a bunch of npm packages that you use and one of those npm packages has you know a critical vulnerability inside of it that's got like a published cve potentially um it's going to automatically scan your dependencies for you and then tell you about recommendations about when um, it sees those um, items now developers have been able to run um you know, um, like security checks locally. So like for Node.js, their package manager is NPM that we've just spoken about. And there's a command that you can run to basically show you, show vulnerabilities in your NPM dependencies. But you have to write that like in the command line. Um, so you can do that. And as long as your developers are proactively, you know, maybe they have like a monthly check that they go and do to look for CVEs and to, to go through that. Um, but what Defender for DevOps can do is it can do that searching directly in your pipelines. So you add an action or a task um, to your to your pipeline, um, and it'll effectively do that scan for you every single time. Well, it's up to you how you configure it, but in theory, every time you commit new code, um, you could do that scanning for you, or you could maybe do that as a validation before you hit a different branch. So you could say, you know, as a final check before we go to staging, um, we're going to do a check for, you know, um, vulnerabilities inside of our, you know, our, de our dependencies. Um, that means that you're not relying on um, um, developers to do that work. Um, that's now orchestrated by um, these systems, um, and it gives you visibility across potentially all of your repositories as well. Because in my example of, say, Alan building software and deploying it, we're just talking about one developer. Um, you could have hundreds of developers. You could have hundreds of repositories um, of all different systems that you have to track. And Defender for DevOps will scale across um, both of them. Um, taking it a bit um, a bit slightly different and talking about infrastructure, um, part of that tooling is looking at infrastructure as code templates. Um, and container images um, to look at cloud misconfigurations reaching production environments. So it might be that you configure a virtual machine that isn't behind a firewall or, you know, whatever security misconfiguration, maybe some ports are opened, um, you know, maybe it's not encrypted, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, I won't go through all the different configure you know, misconfigurations that it can report. Um, but a lot of that checking can now happen before you even deploy it. So before you even get into Defender for Cloud telling you that you've done the wrong thing after you've deployed it, 
which is really valuable, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of a pain to remediate at that point. It can be a pain to remediate at that point, especially if it's infrastructure-related remediation. Um, so let's shift that left. Let's get it as close to the development team as we possibly can and uh, you know, highlight those um, issues as soon as we possibly can. And then what... Um, what Defender for DevOps is then going to do is it's going to integrate with Defender for Cloud. It's effectively like, I think we've described Defender for, it's like Defender for Cloud is like just a collection of other defenders, right? It's a bit of a, yep. it's it's like um, a bit of a beast really because it's just, yeah, a group of other, de no, it's not just a group of other defenders, but there's lots of other defenders inside of it. Yeah, um, so you're, you're talking about the protective workload to that point, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So Defender for Cloud gives you the visibility and the, the prioritization right and it, it, it gives you the interface um, to that uh, but defender for devops is like one of those other workloads really inside of defender for cloud uh, but what you're going to get is you're going to surface these recommendations inside of defender for cloud um, and it's going to help you to prioritize those recommendations as well it's going to give you guidance on you know uh, what it thinks you should you should look at and give you severity but also it's going to give you that single pane of glass view across your infrastructure uh, with Defender for Cloud and all of those other, I don't know how many there are, Alan, 10, maybe? I can't remember the exact it's number. quite a few now, yeah. Let's call it multiple, double digits, um, other protective workloads, including CSPM, and it's also going to layer this in as well. So you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to see it all in one place. You know, there's not another, you know, um, sec devops portal that you've got to go and look at um, teams have one unified um, place um, to, to look at these recommendations as well cool so that it definitely sounds like a from sort of from my security perspective i guess um it's kind of like um it can help with well the the the, the DevSecOps part at least as well that that methodology is like a catch-all we're checking everything that goes through that's going to go to to potentially to production things like that that you're right there are tooling out there that the you know the developers or yeah developers or um pull request um you know people uh creators are able of to pull requests create yeah, yeah <laughs> creators of pull requests but reviewers of pull requests could go okay, and check yeah. the code sorry that's what i was trying to get at. that yeah. maybe they don't have this in that they can go and do the manual checks but it's based on them doing it as you know religiously and things like that and how often etc this is doing automatically they don't have to necessarily worry about it they can still do those pre-checks if they want to so that when it goes through that bit they're you know 10 out of 10 kind of yep. thing you know it's not it's not removing that it's just making sure and monitoring or documenting that it passed it yeah and a lot of that kind of checking thing. is busy work right it's like you know uh, pulling the code down running a command on it and then somehow sharing the results of that with the rest of your team right exactly because like yeah. you know what do you do do you then jump into devops boards or jira and then start creating tasks and tickets and all of that sort of stuff right um you know defender for devops is going to help you to you know automate a lot of that yeah exactly and from a security perspective as well from a you know a, a CISO or you know a, a security analyst or security engineer, um, yes, they can go into DevOps and be part of that. The whatever DevOps tooling you're using, be a you know a stakeholder, things like that. Looking at you know looking at the 
what's happening within there. But like you said, you could then got this single place in Defender for Cloud where they don't have to have access to that. It probably is best practice that they do, I would guess, but it may not. Um, but they've got you know Defender for Cloud to be able to see everything from the DevOps side as well as you know the actual infrastructure. So like you said, if that's not running, you can see it, or maybe there's extra rec- recommendations since they've done the latest you know push to production. Because I guess it's not going to be extremely frequent. Depends how how many iterations you know this product, web app, service, etc. is do- is going. Might only be yep. once a month. Might be once every three months of a build. You know, so yeah, I think that's really good to be able to see you know see those results, things like that, or see you know how good your environment is as well. Yeah, and I'm and guessing. I, yeah, sorry, go on. I was going to say I'm guessing that uh, if there were any alerts created for DevOps, because I know there's going to be recommendations in there, but if there were any alerts created, I guess it's probably not going to be because it's not doing it's not an active attack against DevOps. But if there were any um instance and then it would you know if, if you had the integration with defect for sent microsoft sentinel then you'd have alerts in there as well yeah i think um just it folding into defender for cloud and how that is structured is one of the most you know beautiful parts of you know a lot of those protective workloads right you know they surface their you know their findings there and then other things can hook in to to get access to it um one thing that i haven't mentioned is so um uh, so these static analyzers which are effectively the tools that run you know automatically and there's also one called cred scan um, which looks for uh, credentials that are baked into your that's baked into your source code so what can have sometimes happen is when you're testing, you might use like the connection string for a storage account, for instance, you know, because a store, you know, a connection key, is it called a key? No, it's connection string. Um, so you might use a connection string whilst you're just testing. Um, and then when you go to, um, a, you know, staging or production, you might want to put those credentials into um, maybe a key vault and access them from there so that your actual secrets aren't embedded um, in your Git repository. Uh, why is that important? Um, because basically any other developer that has access to that source code has those secrets on their machine at that point, right? So, you know, yeah. if you put the production secrets into Git and I, so let's say, let's say I do it, I'll use me, Alan, because I'm, you know, mm-hmm. not doing it correctly. And then you go in, you know, uh, pull that code down. In theory, that secret is now on, uh, your machine now you might you know from an RBAC perspective me or you might not actually have access to the productions should maybe shouldn't have access to production systems and also you know if you if your machine was compromised uh, then people could um, steal those you know secrets and, and credentials to, to to gain access as well so um, so you know uh, that's a really great um, feature um, but yeah, there's there's like five or six uh, things like ESLint, TerraScan, uh, Template Analyzer, um, uh, Trivi for container images. Um, there's loads of there's loads of different ones, um, and there's also anti malware as well from uh, Defender for Endpoint that's added in there as well uh, for for checking. So yeah, really good, already really good um, coverage um, of different tooling. Cool. Yeah, that sounds really really good. Okay, so what platforms are supported? Um, both GitHub and Azure DevOps um, at, at the moment. Cool. Okay. So it you kind of talked about it a little bit about how you configure it. 
some parts of it at least. So yeah, can you give us a bit more sort of insight into that? You know, what else do you have to configure um, to get it all hooked up and things like that? Okay, so um, basically you add an extension. Um, you you do a connection inside of um, Defender for Cloud. Um, and, and what that does is it effectively links um, another... Is it called an environment in Defender for Cloud? It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, is it called an environment? Yeah, it is. Um, you effectively get another environment. Like in Defender for Cloud, you'll see your... Um, Azure subscription, your AWS accounts, your GCP projects. Um, you'll also see your connections to your GitHub organizations and accounts and also to your DevOps um, organizations as well. Um, we only really use Azure DevOps, so I don't have a lot of knowledge about the GitHub action side. But when I'm talking about how you make these connections and how you actually configure them, it's very similar um, from both sides. There's just different terminology, really, because they're very from a pipeline perspective. So you've got pipelines on Azure DevOps and you've got actions on, on the GitHub side. They're called different things, but they are kind of the same thing. Um, and it's all Microsoft now. So so yeah, so um, you effectively do your connection in Defender for Cloud and you also install an extension into um, Azure DevOps, which gives you the ability to um, run different actions inside of your pipeline. So, for instance, um, when you're um, when you're running your pipeline, what you can say is, you know, the first thing you do at the top of your pipeline is, and it's usually automatic, is to check out your Git repository. You could say, right, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to do my scanning, basically. Um, maybe I've got infrastructure in there. So I'll effectively add a um an analy uh, like a step or an analyzer in there to to basically scan for infrastructure issues inside of it so you define that in your pipeline um effectively y you can configure it like that um and you can decide what happens should that fail because some people might say okay well i don't want to fail the build in dev um if i've got a security issue because it's not actually an issue well it is an issue <laughs> but it's from what I'm doing right now, it's not a problem, is it? It's something that maybe needs to resolve before we go to a pre-prod or a staging system, but we might just want to flag that at that point. Maybe in our pipeline to go to pre-prod or staging, maybe at that point we want to put an enforcement in place to say, no, you can't go live. You know, you can't move it to ops until you've sorted your um, security issue out. Um, and you can configure that so you can basically say like um, um, like what categories you want to cover and things like that. So it's highly, it's highly um, uh, like uh, configurable from, from that perspective. It is slightly different the way that you do that between Azure DevOps and, and GitHub, um, but effectively it's, the, it's kind of the same. Uh, thing you'd have to go through and actually configure it yourself on on your specific platform to 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 know more there um and then what you can then do is you can then say you can enable pull request annotations so what you can then say is is well once i found these things report them back to Def defender for devops and defender for cloud to give the visibility there but also for that developer should we annotate the pull requests? Um, 
If you don't know what a pull request is, effectively it's like a it's a request literally for somebody to pull your code into another area. So you you're basically saying, hey, I've got this new bit of code that I want to submit into the repository. Um, will you accept it? So I might write some code and then I would open a pull request to Alan because um, I maybe I'll say, right, Alan, I think this is ready to ship, um, maybe into pre-prod. Um, Alan might check that manually. That's probably a good thing to do. Uh, but that's when these pipelines can then kick in to run things like Defender for DevOps to validate the build um, automatically. So that's part of DevOps, really. You know, um, when new code comes in, you'd build it, you'd test it, you'd check it for security issues, and then you get a human to check it as well. You layer on all of that, um, add the automation, it makes things uh, really seamless. Um, so, so yeah, that pull request annotation is there. Um, I believe that's on both sides, DevOps and, and GitHub. And um, that's really going to, you know, uh, give you the visibility there and then, but also the flexibility on how you deal with those issues that that arise. Yeah, so so you this is that's really good I think. Um so you put you use pipelines action pipeline slash actions or tasks to get to do all the checking. And then you when you do a pull request you have this annotation. So in effect when you're you know once it finds something a problem with the code or, or you know infrastructure code, um, it will actually go and tell you exactly what bit's broken in well, got an issue within your code, not just hey there's a problem with this you know this the the key vault is open, and, and go it, great I've got yeah. five of them which one do I have to go and find? It's actually going to say well actually well I think I've not seen this work but you know assuming it goes off to it and goes yeah this one is the broken one. It will tell you what it's found right. Yeah. But I think the key thing to understand here is that some or some teams might not want pull request annotation on, right? Because it depends whose responsibility it is to yeah. to orchestrate the remediation of that, right? So it might be that, let's say you're the developer and you've checked in and it just so happens, timing thing, one of the you know dependencies has got a vulnerability. It might be that the team decides that they don't want to tell you about that because they don't want you to go and bump the version number of that package because that could cause other issues, if that makes sense. Not security-related issues, right? And potentially it might not be your part of the code exactly. where that vulnerability is as well. Yeah. So you might want to surface that mis... mis we'll call it a misconfiguration or that recommendation, yes. right, into Defender for Cloud. Um and it might be that you then start like some governance rules in Defender for Cloud. Check the Defender for Cloud episode where we talk about governance rules, right? Because we're not going to talk about that now. No. But it might be that you start to trigger that then. And you say, who's the repository owner? Oh, the product owner is on, you know, Alan's working on widget one. And the product owner for that is somebody else in Alan's team. So they should be notified of the, the issue, not Alan. Because like we've spoken about, it might not actually be Alan that's really responsible with going and, and fixing that. In smaller teams, you might want pull request annotation just to go and fix it and just to resolve it as soon as you possibly can. So the, the main takeaway to that is there is flexibility there for you, um, should you need it. Cool. <clears throat> okay, so we always, everyone loves this question. Uh, it's normally on most episodes. Um, do we know how much it costs and how it sort of 
cost or licensed, I guess, or yeah. Well, that's that's the part that I can't give you any answers on what? quite at the moment, <laughs> um, because Defender for DevOps is actually in preview. Um, so it's okay. in limited regions at the moment. Um, so let me get the exact list because I did pull a list of them because that is sometimes quite an issue as well for certain teams. Um, Australia East, Central US and West Europe, right? So um, and it's only in commercial clouds um, as well. That those commercial clouds as well yeah. at the moment um it's currently in preview um so again no sla um it's it's currently in preview um and, and being tested but we wanted to do an episode on it because of the value that it can add um and whilst it's in preview um i, I haven't heard anything about the pricing alan do you have any insights on it i haven't heard anything about Azure for uh, no, I don't know. I don't know how they would. Oh, yeah. I wonder if it's going to be by repository or something. I like that. That's what I assume. I reckon yeah. it's going to be. <laughs> I don't know, but it's going to be X amount of dollars per repository per month is my bet. But I've got, I've got not no unless going to do it per run, it. per run or something like that, and it'd be like a lower cost. Cause that's when it's actually taken. Yeah, doing maybe stuff. it'd be like per action step or per task. You know, if you run once a month, it only costs you. Like a real consumption model because um, there is a mix of that in Defender for Cloud, isn't there? There's consumption and then there's fixed like resource. It's still yeah. consumption, but do you know what I mean? Like run consumption. Yeah, per, yeah per, per resource per month or per 10,000 transactions per month. or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so we're, we're yet to see that. Um, and just to call out as well, um, we're also seeing some of the GitHub technology move into this space. I haven't included it into here. Um, but if you've ever heard of CodeQL, a lot of the the GitHub, it's not specifically Defender for DevOps, really, but a lot of the GitHub um, uh, tooling is also coming into to DevOps side as well. So if you're an organization that's on the fence of should it be GitHub Enterprise or should it be Azure DevOps, um, it doesn't seem like they're merging that at the moment. And a lot of these security toolings are being um made available on both sides um, basically cool uh so so is there anything else you think of around devops devsecops sec devops or defender for devops <laughs> just um yeah um i think the key takeaway for me is is it um making sure that you're adding some level of security into that workflow um try and automate that as much as possible to improve your your day-to-day -day existence and also to improve your security posture. Uh, visibility is obviously really important. You know, a lot of organizations want to, you know, um, do attestation to va validate that they've actually got coverage, you know, and to show and have that in one single pane of, you know, sort of uh, pane of glass. There are obviously other competitors out there that do Defender for DevOps, you know, kind of technology. So, um, there are other tools in and around that, but if you if you do if you are defender for cloud and you want that singular view viewpoint, um, this is this is a great way to go. Cool, great. Well, thanks for the um, you know thanks for the insight. I think that we've gained lots out of it. It's definitely a lot there as always. Yeah, yeah, and I just wanted to call out you know um, if you've if you've missed our previous episode. Um, on Azure DevOps. Um, it was season three, episode 19. 
so actually not very many episodes ago um really um and we did a deep dive into um azure devops and um you know defender for devops integrates in with this so if you are in that um sort of world uh, developing uh, software deploying it or infrastructure uh, in a devops uh, manner then please yeah definitely go uh, it's worth a listen for sure yeah um, or or yeah, if you're um looking you know you've you've listened to this episode and um you think oh that's the you know, devops sounds interesting yeah go and check that episode out because you get a bit more of a deeper dive into all of the capability i mean we've really just in this episode talked about pipelines and git repos yeah. And in, I think in that episode, we said we just need to talk about Defender for DevOps on its own because that episode was yeah. a bit of a beast anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Alan, uh, next episode, I think that's uh, you're, you're taking that one. So wh what are we looking forward to? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about um, securing bring your own devices in, a, in an organization because there is various ways to provide access to your to your data, to your to your environment. And whilst um previously i mean it's been out for a while that you can do quite a lot with bring your own device with microsoft technology but previously you know it's always been a managed device only you know if your your hardware dies you can't access your you know your organization things like that and with hybrid working now being you know quite you know a, a thing now more than you know, work from home things like that um i think it's worth going through as a you know what technologies can you use to make that be secure, but be quite flexible and maybe potentially, you know, reduce costs in hardware, things like that, you know, because some users might not want to carry two phones around. Things yeah, like that. exactly. Yeah, no, that, that seems, it'll be a, definitely a great episode. There's lots of technology in, in that space and it's being used more and more, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I thought it'd be good to do a scenario as well, where we use a lot of technology. So. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay. So did you enjoy this episode? Um, if so, please consider leaving us a review on Apple or Spotify. Um, this really helps us reach more people um, like like yourselves. Um, if you have any specific feedback or suggestions, we'd love, we have a link in the show notes. So get in contact with us. Yeah. And if you've made it this far, thank you very much. And we'll catch you all on the next one. Yeah. Thanks. Thank all. Thanks all.